As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sadiq Sharma and Patrick Mooney, here to talk Cubs at the, I don't know, would you call it the glorious end of the 11-game losing streak? Uh, or is it a, uh, you know, an inglorious ending because, of course, to end a monster losing streak, you have to have one in the first place. And you don't even get that sort of sidelong joy of matching the 12-game losing streak from 2012 or, uh, Lord willing, a 14-gamer from 97. So we don't, we don't get to participate in history. We just uh, get to watch the Cubs win a probably meaningless game in July. But they, they did it last night against the Phillies in pretty convincing fashion with Zach Wheeler on the mound. Lots of hits. You know, all, I don't know. What, what did you guys leave that thinking vis-a-vis the losing streak uh, and what lies ahead? I mean, just watching it, I, I felt like, okay, this looks more like the team that, that we saw in May. And, and to do it against a good pitcher uh, has to be... You know, I, I I would assume that there there's not for us... Maybe not frustration, but... To see it being done against such a good pitcher, you're like, really? You couldn't have done that about five more times over the past two weeks to just make this uh, July a little bit more interesting. But uh, apparently, you know, they're it's in there. They're capable of doing these things. We've known it all along, but it, it, they just don't do it enough, right? And that's, I guess, that's the where the frustration lays. Brett, I think this is kind of the acceptance phase of the process that you know, there's. <laughs> no longer that will they or won't they or, you know, <clears throat> each loss kind of pounding home the idea that the season's slipping away. Like it's it's already gone. Uh, and now we can all kind of write and conceptualize our, you know, kind of farewell pieces. I think, you know, that's kind of what Jake Arietta start felt like the other night, uh, him insisting he had a lot left in the tank and then the Cubs putting him on the injured list uh, the next day. And so I think there's probably a way for Jake to slide back into the rotation uh, at some point, uh, maybe after the trade deadline. Uh, it's not that he's done with the Cubs. It's just that 
you know, this is kind of the end for this group. And we're, we're seeing, um, we don't know what exactly is going to happen with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, but you know, this era, uh, is kind of grinding to a halt and, you know, something different will have to take its place. Okay. So the obligatory question then, um, cause I agree with all of that with both of you, there's nothing that could happen before the all-star break to change the course of things, right? Like we're not being idiots to say, no, there, there is, cause, cause there's two, there's two ways to think about it. On the one hand, you could say, no, literally nothing that happens, including, you know, four more wins in a row tend are going to change anything. That's, that's one take. And then there's another version that's, that's, well, nothing's going to change it because that's not going to happen. And even if that did happen, they'll lose coming out of the break or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. We said on the last podcast, and we all wrote with, with considerable conviction that the die was cast. You know, the decision was made. The process was going to proceed on the eventual sell-off. And I just want to make sure now that the losing streak is finally over, is there nothing that could actually change that course of action? I mean, I think if you want to believe, isn't it that great? Can... By the way, that I get to ask the question, you know, I get to set that up, and then I don't have to answer it right away, so I get to hang you guys out to dry, no matter what you say. I mean, I, I think there's there is a situation where things turn, but that's not it's not realistic. I mean, they have to win pretty much every game up until like over the next, you know, over the next two weeks, right? They, if they win every game and they they go on a similar uh, winning streak as to the losing streak and they top that even, then yeah, I mean, sure. I, I would think that that, puts a, that forces Jed into a difficult situation once again. Uh, I, I just don't think that's a realistic thing to happen. So uh, yeah, I, outside, I, I think what, what I wrote was, you know, outside of something like that, the we know what's happening. They're they're sellers. So it has to be it can't be ten of fifteen. It needs to be fifteen of fifteen, maybe fourteen of fifteen. But you know what I mean? It's not it's not going to be something small or or just a solid run. They they may end up being a you know, a five hundred team. Maybe this team, if if it wasn't if it's not going to be dismantled, is, you know, an eighty something win team, but that's not enough to to hold this off. I don't think they they need to run off a ton of wins here over the next couple of weeks, and that's the whole idea that they're they've run out of time to get back in this because this is essentially their September, and and they they couldn't get it done. Yeah, I mean the Cubs are in the process of going down this. I think the, the writing is kind of on on the wall here, and I think the telling number is. In the division, when you're eight and a half games back, like, I don't know, maybe there's a universe in which the Cubs win every single game between now and July 30th and the Brewers lose every single, you know, go on a Cubs-like 11-game losing streak. But, I mean, let's just being honest with our listeners and our readers, like, what is happening is the Cubs preparing to subtract at the trade deadline and do whatever the reload, reboot, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. I mean, that is kind of the chart, the course that they've charted here. And, you know, you look at, and I guess the other part of it too, is if absolutely no one makes, 
you know, gives Jed a compelling offer. I guess he could hold on to more players than we thought, but I don't know. You have the NL West, which is blocking off any realistic path towards uh, a wild card. And you have three really well-built teams that are going to be you know, craving, you know, a guy like Craig Kimbrell. And, you know, the Cubs have a lot of, you know, uh, individual talent to offer. It hasn't really added up the way that it could have in a best case scenario. But uh, I think once this draft is done, that's where, you know, teams are kind of focusing on. And maybe that slows things down uh, over the all-star break in a way that it wouldn't in a, you know, quote unquote normal season. But uh, I mean, it would just be misleading for us to say, Hey, if they sweep the Cardinals, you know, what, then they might be seven and a half games out of first place instead of eight and a half. Like there's not, there's no path forward where they're adding and uh, you know, they blow everyone's expectations out of the water. Yeah. All fair. I mean, both, both of your takes were essentially the coward's way out of what I was setting up, but I, <laughs> but I agree with you. I mean, I, you know, okay, Brett, why don't you turn your camera on? You know I mean? You're, you know, you're on zoom here in the dark, you know, talking shit. <laughs> For the record, folks, I'm not a, it, it, I'm not a camera off person. This normally I, I, you know, invite these guys into my world, whatever it is. I, I have an unstable internet connection at the moment. So I'm doing the, the zoom camera off trick to try to, to try to help. But thank you uh, very much. You just, you just did like the, you just yelled at me for wearing a t-shirt at the pool. <laughs> That's the Zoom equivalent of that. And then I responded with like, no, 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 no. I've got, I have like sutures or something. You know, I have to at this time. I'm not, you know, it's it's not intentional. Uh, great, great audio <laughs> is telling our listeners what I can see, what Sahadev and I can see <laughs> on our computer screen as well. Yeah. That's podcasting 101. Yeah. Michael Beller will tell you that. That's true. You could really. Be, oh, Brett does have his camera on now. Oh, what is he doing? Is is he gonna? Is he gonna dump that entire can of baked beans on his head? Oh, I can't believe he's doing it. This is outrageous. Uh, on that note, that's a that's a blogathon idea right there. Yeah, I know. That's yeah. Oh, I'll I'll plug. I will plug that at the end if we're if we're if we're indulging. But looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human and customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover limitations apply see terms at discover.com slash credit card Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, so um, I think fair to transition there from uh, where we all stand, uh, all of us cowards saying <laughs> that, of course, there is the extreme remote possibility that the Cubs would rattle off a 10-game winning streak and the Brewers lose, you know, 7 of 10, and you're like, okay. Of course, by the way, even in that case, the Cubs make up, what, is that four games? Uh, so, I mean, you have to 
you still have to keep perspective on what an eight and a half game deficit means in a division behind two teams, not just one, mind you. Um, it's highly unlikely. It's possible, but it's not really going to happen. And so what that means is we're already into this mode where uh, as of last night, July 7th, and um, you know Chris Bryant leaves the game right midway through. Now, nobody other than just the fun havers on Twitter was actually thinking it was a hug watch situation. <laughs> um, because of course, earlier in the game, Bryant had had his hand stepped on at second base. We uh, justifiably, I think, thought it was perhaps related to that. Turned out it was uh, some hamstring tightness. But it, it this month, now knowing what we know about the Cubs position, it's, it's incredible how immediately you have to recontextualize every single in-game moment uh, whether it is the hand getting stepped on and you're like, Ooh, or whether it's him getting pulled and you're like, Oh, um, are you guys ready to get back into that mode? Because remember it's been now seven years since the Cubs were this early in July, like clearly going to be sellers. And so like I found myself at least the last few days, you start watching games with a different lens. You know, Craig Kimbrell comes into a non-safe situation last night and he issues the walk and you're like, Oh, is this going to, is this, how's this going to be viewed by the market? You know, and Chris, like I said, Chris Bryant leaves, Javi Baez is scratched. You just think about all these things in a different way. I'm not alone on that, right? Yeah, no, I mean, even how like Andrew Chafin is used and, and what he's doing, what sort of situations he's coming into. Yeah, I, I definitely am looking at it in that lens. Uh, and, and you know, you I guess you kind of have to. It's It's weird. I agree that it's kind of weird to be back in that mode. I was thinking like the athletic didn't exist the last time the Cubs were sellers. Like, I don't like, do I need to give my, our, our audience a primer of like how we're, we're going to cover things here. Cause they've, they've never been, they've never seen a Cubs team. The athletic has never seen a Cubs team. That's out of it for months. Right. It's, it's really been just the end of the 2019 season, right? Like for a week. That's the most we've seen the Cubs out of contention uh, during this time. So it's, it is an odd feeling, but yeah, I mean, you have to, I mean, everything you, you hold your breath with everything, right? There's, you wonder what a, what can they get with a, for a healthy Chris Bryant. Now, if little dings are starting to pop up once again, you have to wonder as well, what, how careful are they being when they pull guys and what's, what is the mindset when, when you're holding a guy out of the lineup or pulling a guy with a hamstring, is it, uh, we got to be extra careful right now, uh, just because <laughs> the value of these players is so like, it's not just for this month and trying to get back in contention. It's, it's the value of the future of the franchise too. And I, I don't know if David Ross thinks like that. I don't know if David Ross can think like that, but I do I do wonder if uh, Well can I ask Sure. Can I can I jump in? Because I know I have this interest and so I figure if I have this interest, a lot of listeners and a lot of other Cubs fans are gonna have this interest. What do you know of or what do you think that dynamic is like between a front office and a manager like David Ross when you you're you're almost certainly going to be transitioning into that seller mode. And so that necessarily should impact some decisions at the margins um, on the roster, in-game usage, those kinds of things. But but you're bouncing against like a competitive manager who wants to keep his clubhouse focused in a certain way, because indeed that helps everybody perform, which would help you in the long run. Like how, what do those conversations look like if they happen at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I I can't say exactly what they look like, but I would assume because of David Ross's front office experience and his relationship with Jed Hoyer that these are conversations that they can have kind of openly and and they can find the right balance. Because like you said, Ross is very competitive. He wants to win. And I think uh, for his own, like at minimum for his own sanity, he needs to be in the mindset of I can still get my team back in this. I can push the right buttons. I can, I can win and, 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 uh, you know, put out a competitive team still. Uh, so, so I think that's part of his thought process, but also I think he has to understand this. Not only, not only has he been in the front office, he's been around this game for a long time. He's been on teams, that have sold at the deadline. So he understands what's happening. It's not, it's not like this is going to come as a shock. All of them, everyone in that clubhouse should know what's happening because we've been talking about it for a while now that if you don't deliver in the first half, this is going to be, this is going to come apart there. This is going to be broken up in July. It's, it's worth remembering like how much stuff David Ross has to deal with on a day-to-day basis. Like his focus is on fixing this right now. And even if it's not obvious, uh, you know, it may be impossible. He's got to focus on that night. And, you know, we tweet out these roster moves. It's just like, you know, names, whatever, the injury in parentheses. Like, he's the one who has to tell these guys. You know, I'm sure I don't know what happened in terms of the conversations with Jay Garrietta. I can't imagine that was, like, entirely – uh, enjoyable or, or comfortable. I, I know for David Ross watching a pitcher who's meant a lot to him personally and professionally struggle like this is not easy. And then, you know, he's got to uh, be prepared for these press conferences before and after every game, which are usually, you know, pretty much autopilot. But if he says one thing wrong, it's going to blow up in the organization's mm-hmm. face. And, you know, those three hours every night, four hours every night. He's got to be absolutely locked in. I mean, Jed Hoyer can go out and get an iced coffee, a big iced coffee at Starbucks, you know, in between his calls with other executives. Like David Ross is on the top step and there's TV cameras uh, around him everywhere. And at this point, I mean, Jed Hoyer and the entire scouting staff um, and, you know, broader set of front office officials are huddled up for the draft right now uh, at, at, uh, in the Wrigley Fields uh, office building, I believe, um, certainly uh, around the Wrigley Field campus. Um, so David Ross is, knows what's out there. He knows what we're talking about, what we're asking about it. He he gets that part of it, but uh, I don't think he has that much you know bandwidth to be too concerned about it until it gets to a point where it's real and he has to take action on it. Yeah, and that's when you're talking about where a front office has communicated very explicitly, like, here's what's going on. You know, here's a conversation that we're in. Here's what's happening. And and I don't think any of us think that, that that's the point where things are. Although, <clears throat> you know, I was reminded that uh, this morning uh, that July 8th is the anniversary of the Rich Harden trade, which goes back 13 years. It predates this front office um, progeny. But it was a reminder to me that there have been a lot of early moves, relatively speaking, when you talk about, um, you know, I cover the trade period and the trade deadline pretty closely and have been for about 13 years myself. And so I 
um, can say with confidence that you almost never see major trades happening in the first week or two of July. It's just very, very rare. You see moves, but you don't. You just don't see the big headline grabbing ones that sort of get attention across baseball. And yet, for the Cubs, you know, I can think of four or five of the major moves that have been made that took place, um, or you know, started July earlier than the All Star Star break, or even you know, in a Roldis Chapman trade, which was a week before the deadline. That's early for a major move. It really is, and. Yeah, there have been a lot that have been the Cubs. You know, the Jose Quintana trade was early. The Rolls Chapman trade was early. The Arietta Strope Feldman trade was very early. Um, and and this Harden trade was very early. And and there's not really anything there. I'm not really oh, and, and Smarge and Hamill, that was July 4th, very early. There's not really anything there. Um, I'm not making a point necessarily, other than to say it's just interesting how at least we in our sphere as fans or media or whatever covering the cups have had an uncommon volume of exposure to significant trades happening much earlier than most organizations. Um, and it doesn't it, like, I haven't landed anywhere with that. Like I said, I don't mean for our listeners to take, I'm not trying to say like, Oh man, so you better pay attention every day. Something might happen. Um, but it just, it hadn't occurred to me, <clears throat> excuse me, until I was reminded of that Rich Harden trade, um, this being the anniversary on July 8th. Yeah, I, I think this year especially uh, things are going to slow down because of the draft. Uh, it's just going to be hard to really get engaged. It, I usually feel like the All-Star break is a good time when when they do start start these processes and, and just kind of begin that long haul look of how, you know, how to start the trades and, and those, those initial conversations or maybe the, the key conversations in the middle uh, that, that you have uh, to kind of get to the final point that happens maybe a week or two later. But I think that uh, I'm curious to see, we'll hear, you know, I'm sure Patrick and I and, and those and our colleagues around uh, the business will, will hear rumblings of things, but I'm very curious how, how it's going to play out because of the draft. Like, is that going to slow things down significantly? I think it definitely will slow things down or at minimum throw a wrench into things. But uh, it's not – if the Cubs do want to, say, jump the market earlier with, with Kimbrel, I think this is going to kind of slow that down. Uh, so so it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I doubt we'll see an early move, but – you know, weirder things have happened. We also said there was no chance the Cubs were going to trade for Jose Quintana, right? So, so <laughs> the trade season is always weird and 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 throws a surprise at us. But I I don't I don't expect it to be an early trade season, specifically because of the draft being pushed a month later. But if I remember correctly, didn't the Quintana trade wasn't it like Sunday, uh, the last? game before the all-star break like rick Hahn texts theo epstein and like the cubs are getting like their doors blown off theo's pissed about the world series hangover and i think that's where it, the kind of momentum really just picks up like that day before the all-star break and if you're using that as a comparison now like every single team's going to be focused on their first round pick that night uh and then two more days of drafting uh on monday and and tuesday so i do think uh there is at least at least conventional wisdom is saying like that could uh maybe slow things down and i think to circle back to something we talked about earlier uh 
if you're jumping the market, if how are you watching games? Uh, was it 2012 when Matt Garza was pitching at Bush Stadium and like he walked off the mound with an arm injury? Yep. And it was like triceps. Okay, it was like late July. I mean that that's what we're watching for now. I mean that it, like Cubs win, Cubs lose, who cares? It's kind of like their most important players um are they healthy? Can they be traded and what can they get for them? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Yeah, I tend to think if you pay attention to this at all, whether you're fan or media, you're just lying if you say that last night when Kimbrell came in, you aren't watching his affect a little more closely, his velocity a little more closely. All of these things of like, he's fine, right? Just making sure he's fine, right? Okay, cool. He's fine. Um, so yeah, let's let's leave that conversation there because I, I do agree with uh, both these guys that an early moving market this year, it just, it just, we've never seen it before with the draft at this time, but it sure seems awfully unlikely because of the nature of the way front offices work relative to the draft, which is that they know that it's the Super Bowl of organization building for as much attention as it is not paid relative to the NBA draft and the NFL draft and uh, probably the NHL draft as well. But um, it is critically important. And I think that this year, with it's 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 an interesting draft anyway because we had the five rounder last year with um teams not really in action on the prep and college side uh now this year back up to 20 rounds which of course is only half the length of of what it was previously but you have something of a backlog of talent and a lack of data and and scouting ability on players so i i I would think preparing for this draft is even more difficult than usual and therefore the opportunities to win in the draft are perhaps outsized compared to a normal year. So I, I expect a lot of attention around the league to it. And again, like Sadiq pointed out, it's a month later than it usually is, which is, uh, I don't know. I don't love it. It was designed to draw more attention to it, to pair it with the all-star weekend. I know that those plans were in motion at a, at least a conversational level before the pandemic and then the pandemic kind of mucked everything up. And so I, I give a little bit of grace, but I don't know that I love pair, trying to pair these two events together. <clears throat> um, is there anything that you guys want to say on the draft before we leave it there? I mean, Cubs are picking 21 in the first round. Uh, they don't have any extra picks like a number of other teams. Um, so it'll, it'll feel like a pretty standard draft for the Cubs in recent years in terms of where they are and, what they can do, but it will be the second year of Dan uh, Kantrovitz uh, running the draft for the Cubs after his years with the A's and Cardinals. Of course, Cubs went um, with Ed Howard in the first round last year, prep shortstop, probably the best prep shortstop in the draft. Although, um, you know, he's, he has definitely struggled with his adjustment to uh, professional baseball this year, but kind of pretty easy to see why when you're going from barely playing any in your senior year of high school to then immediately having to face like college 
pitchers and, and multi-season pros in full season baseball. So I wouldn't really take too much away from that, but it was a, it was a higher upside, higher risk pick than we have seen in recent years for the Cubs. And I don't know if that's something we'll just see as the new MO. Um, but yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm interested to see him run another draft this year. Yeah. I, I think, well, first of all, I did. I, I talked to Dan a couple days ago, and and he made it seem like you know this we got a lot closer to normalcy this year as far as being able to evaluate talent and and you know send scouts around the country and and, and you know really be able to interact with the talent, which obviously didn't happen last year. Not in person. Not watching games. Uh, obviously, there were no games to watch or very few games to watch, and uh, and the the interaction that scouts really seem to lean on uh wasn't wasn't happening uh so i think there was some return to normalcy there uh according to kantrovitz and then uh yeah that's one of the things i'm curious to i'm i'm finishing up a piece on on kind of looking at the draft and we don't know what his style is really with the cubs right you know obviously there's going to be changes in philosophy. Otherwise, why make the change at all, right? If things aren't going to change philosophically or the way you go about business, then it doesn't really make sense to to make a change. Uh, so there there will be differences, but it's hard to know exactly what that is. And we can't. And, and I also think that it's going to be hard to say, well, this is what the Cubs believe when when they're picking at 21, right? That they have to react to what others do before them. So if someone falls that they didn't expect to fall and and they're going to go above slot, that's that's just reacting to the draft. If if there's if their, you know, top 20 prospects went in the tw- in the first 20 picks, then you know, they have to react to that. Do they go with someone under slot because they have I think the bottom third uh, of uh money to spend in this draft in in all of baseball. I think there are teams that have like over double what they have available to spend. Yes. So, so it's a, you know they they have to be creative, they have to be smart, and they have to be. I think the word that Kantrovitz used was reactive because there's going to be, uh, they they can't. It's it's hard for us to predict it, right? What's going to happen in the top twenty dra- uh, picks, and they certainly can't predict what's going to happen. They can hear whispers, they can they can hear some things, especially as it gets closer, but. They don't know what's going to happen in those top 20 picks, and they have to be able to adjust depending on what happens. And I think that's kind of what happened last year with Ed Howard, right? They liked Ed Howard when it got to a certain point that he, like a couple teams passed, they had an idea, okay, he's going to fall to us. And, and you know, I would kind of disagree that he's a high upside pick, at least in the normal sense, Brett, because for a high school shortstop, he has a pretty, pretty uh, high floor. Because you know he's going to be a plus defender. Like at minimum, he can handle shortstop defensively already. He's like a 50 defender right now. If you just want to throw him out there, he'd be an average big league shortstop. So the the in you know, as he continues to grow, as he continues to play, he's he's expected to be a plus plus shortstop. It's it's that's the feeling that that's if there's one thing you can guarantee with Ed Howard's Ed Howard, it's his defense. Now it's about watching that bat uh, develop. And I agree. I, I talked to Kantrovitz a little bit about him as well. 
and and he he has no concerns. I, I and I, even if he did, I highly doubt he'd start start sharing his big concerns with Ed Howard with us. But uh, the the Cubs aren't gonna freak out about his his bad numbers. They are they're rough, but he's slowly adjusting, and that's that's what's supposed to happen to a nineteen year old who hasn't really played baseball since his junior year of high school or, you know, competitive baseball. And now he's like you described, he's going up against professional ball players who have much more experience than him. And in many cases are much older than him as well. I think just to tie it all together, like this is why Jed Hoyer has to nail the trade deadline. I mean, the Cubs feel better about their prospect base than maybe the prospect gurus on the outside, but, um, that talent they believe in is really clustered at the lowest levels of the farm system. We're talking about, you know, teenagers playing in the Arizona complex league that were acquired in the U Darvis trade. Uh, Ed Howard is a, by all accounts, a terrific young man and a terrific talent, but like, yeah, it's hard to go from like the Chicago Catholic league to uh, professional baseball uh, without <laughs> too many at bats uh in between. So um, I think this is why, you know, the Cubs might be like the team to watch at the trade deadline. I mean, that's our job. That's the team we follow. But I mean, so many dominoes could fall uh, given uh, all the different assets they have uh, on their roster. And um, this is probably a topic for another podcast, but you know, the money they have uh, to maybe pay down some salaries here and get back uh, maybe higher level prospects, guys who are closer to the big leagues uh, and not these kind of uh, A-level guys that are years away from even being on the on the major league radar. Yeah, we know that both Jed Hoyer and Crane Kenny were very quick to point out when the Cubs were potential buyers that there was going to be plenty of money available to take on salary at the deadline to improve the team. So uh, by that logic, there should be really no reason that the organization can't eat salary that's already on the books uh, in order to improve those trade returns. So uh, agreed. We'll get into that more probably next week. Um, In the days ahead, of course, the Cubs will close out the first half. Uh, They've got the Cardinals coming in this weekend to Wrigley Field. And then, as we said, draft starts on Sunday uh, and continues through Tuesday. Home Run Derby is on Monday. That field is awesome. Folks, watch the Home Run Derby, man. It's going to be a really fun one at Coors Field. Uh, And then the All-Star Game and uh, baseball returns later next week uh, together with us. We will be back uh, later next week with an episode of On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can get my stuff over at Bleacher Nation. And if you do head over there, by the way, please check out, um, you know, every year at the trade deadline, I do a marathon blogging, tweeting, videoing session, kind of overnight thing, no sleep to raise funds for Make-A-Wish here in Illinois. So uh, check that out. If you got a chance, just head over to BleacherNation.com. You'll see the post on it up top. We expect Uh, you to dump dump a can of baked beans on your head. At least one. I know that's an now, hour. <laughs> well, that's now that's on the radar. We got to get so we got to get over eight thousand raised to grant a couple wishes. That maxes me out on the forty hours straight of the blogathon, and then is when I sort of offer to add these enhancements to to the blogathon. You know, baked beans dumped on the head. I will keep that. I'll add that to the list. Um, yeah, turn out those pockets, folks, and I'll make sure my video is on for that uh, this time. <laughs> 
And uh, make sure you're reading Sahadev's and Patrick's work over at The Athletic, of course. And we will always appreciate you telling your friends about this here podcast on Waveland. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We will be back at you later next week, like I said. And we appreciate you listening. Take care and have a great weekend, all. <laughs>